Leah, and welcome to this week's Hashtag for Paris podcast. It is wonderful that you could join us for this week's teaching. I'll explain a little bit more about who we are at the end, but for now, let's jump right in. Well, welcome. Uh, this week we're doing something different. Um, a couple times a year we do Q&A. Um, we, we think it's important to, to, to be at a place where we ask questions about faith, about life, about God, about the Bible. That, 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 that asking questions is not a, a sign of a lack of faith, but actually it's a desire to, to know more. I mean, we, we, we recognize and we see that it's often through asking questions that, that, that we begin to grow and learn. Um, little kids are always asking questions. That's how they learn. And so the same thing is true for us when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, that, that we should be okay to be asking questions. And so every once in a while, we, we take a pause in the series and we do a Q&A. Now, if you're going to be in person, then um, I would take questions right from the floor. But obviously, we can't do that. And so some questions have come in in advance that I'm going to take uh, some time to answer here today. But maybe in the course of this, that other questions begin to arise from what I've said. Or maybe of other questions that are rolling around in your mind. If you send me an email, I would love to connect with you and just chat further. Whether it's by a phone call and Zoom. Or we can even um, connect um, in person if you live relatively uh, close because we believe that as a um, as a church that 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 we want to be authentic that that that, that we want to be able to, to ask questions and and to see how do we learn how do we grow in the midst of it so got three questions for you here today and uh, let's let's jump right in the the first one was actually a conversation that I found myself in last week and I thought this is a great question um, I'm gonna use it for Q&A and so here it is question is this person asked me, when I die, will I be able to see what is happening on earth from heaven? Oftentimes we, we see this in movies, right? We, we hear the line of, I know that fill in the blank is watching over me. And so is that true? Or is that just pure sentiment? So we're going to turn to the Bible and see what the Bible has to say. And because there are, there are Christians who believe that, yes, you can see from heaven what is happening on earth. And there are some Christians who believe that, actually, no, we don't think you can. And so you may be thinking, well, isn't the Bible clear? Well, it's not 100% clear on this. It, it creates a little bit of room for uh, good conversations like this. So let's jump into the two, what I believe are primary Bible passages that, that speak to this very question. For those that believe that you can see earth from heaven, people, what's happening on earth, would go to Hebrews 12, verse 1. Let me read it and then talk about it. It says, for since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And so for those that believe you can see what is happening on earth from heaven, they see this as an image, that, that death is a finish line. And that and, and when you're running a race, when you get to the finish line, you hang around the finish line and you watch those that come in and finish and you cheer them on. And so the image is this, is that life is like a race and that when we die, we don't all die at the same time. We don't all cross the finish line at the same time, but that, but that we have this great cloud of witnesses that are watching us and are cheering for us and are, and are just wanting us to be encouraged. And so that can help us in the midst of difficulties. And so they would say that, yes, you can see what is happening on earth. On the flip side, there are those that say, I don't think this is true because of what they see in Revelation 21 verse 4. Now, this is at the end of the Bible when the Apostle John is talking about 
try to give us some, some tangible understanding as to what heaven is going to be like. And he says this. He says, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And so here's the reality. There are those that believe that you can't see from heaven what is happening on earth because you're seeing the brokenness of the world. And that if heaven is created as a place where there is no more pain, there is no more suffering, there are no more tears, then, then how do you respond to the brokenness you see? Now, those that would say, you know what, you can see from heaven say, well, listen, um, because um, you understand God's providence and you understand all that God is doing and at the end, all things work for good, that, that there isn't that same, still that, that, that sense of pain that you'd experience on earth. And so where do you land? For me, I land in the camp of, I don't believe you can see earth from heaven. I land at the place of, if, if heaven is this perfect place, this place where there is, is no more pain or suffering, then, then we're not going to see what is happening on earth. Plus, there's the other complications of, well, what about the reality of those people who don't go to eternity and spend eternity with Jesus? What, how do you respond to that? See, I would interpret the cloud of witnesses differently in Hebrews 12. I would view that because it comes in Hebrews 11, where they're talking about basically the, hate, the, the faith hall of fame, individuals who have been faithful in the midst of all of life, and that, and that they are an example to us, this incredible cloud of witnesses, that, that they have remained faithful even in the midst of difficulties, so that we too can remain faithful in the midst of life. And so it's not so much the image of, of they are watching us, but that rather we can look to them in the example that they live, as an encouragement to us. Here's a real cool thing. I could be wrong on this. Uh, you could be right on this if you hold a different interpretation. And the cool thing is that when we die, if we have faith in Jesus, we do know 100% that we will be with him for all of eternity. And so we will one day know. And the really good news about this is that if I am wrong, you can't boast. You can't say, I told you so. You can't point your finger and say you're wrong because we do know that in heaven, there is no sin. And so pointing your finger at me, saying I told you so, boasting is sin. And so you, you lose out either way. So land it there. Okay. Second question comes from Lizzie. Lizzie is in our congregation. Um, she's gone off to Guelph. And I would say like, she's amazing when it comes to Q&A. There has not been a Q&A that she has not asked a question. And I just absolutely love it because she is someone who's continually trying to integrate her life and faith and, and make it all work out. And so her question is this. It comes from James 1 verse 27. James is, is in the New Testament. And James is a great book because it talks about how do you practically live out your faith. And so James 1.27 says this. It says, keep oneself unspotted by the world. Basically, keep yourself uncorrupted by the world. And so Lizzie's question is this. As a follower of Jesus, what does this look like? I mean, how do you stay, stay uncorrupted from the world and not become judgmental or distant? I, I, I love this because Lizzie has, has nailed something in the fact that we have seen, and those of you that are older have probably seen more of a cultural shift. Decades ago, Christianity was viewed in a positive light. More recently, it has become more neutral. Presently, Christianity is no longer positive or neutral. It's oftentimes viewed incredibly negatively. We, 
we see the challenges in, in, in just the society in which we live. You know, it, it, we see it in politics. We see it in sexuality. We see it in morality. We, we see it in the fact that, like, how dare you tell me how to live? And so the question is amazing. How do we respond? How do we remain uncorrupted by the world in which we live in? You know, we, we, do we distance ourselves? Do we, do we put ourselves in a place where we just don't have a whole lot of, you know, impact um, in what is going on? I don't think that's the ideal. On the opposite spectrum, do we become judgmental? Do we just kind of wait, wag our finger and, and negatively basically shame culture? Unfortunately, there's a growing wave of this um, in some more conservative circles of Christianity, and, and, and I don't think it's helpful. Sometimes we land in a place of, well, do I just kind of conform? Do I just kind of go along with it all? I, none of those are satisfactory for me. For me, it comes down to this. If you want to be in the world and have an impact on the world, yet not be corrupted by it, it comes down to grace and truth. That, that you hold to the truth of what Jesus and the Bible teaches, but you live it out with a sense of greater grace. What I mean by that is it speaks to posture. Jesus has a lot to say about this in Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. It's at the very beginning of what's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is about to talk about what does it look like to follow him. But before he says all of that, he front loads it with this passage on our posture. How do we, how do we follow truth, yet, yet doing it in a grace-filled way? This is what it says, Matthew 5, verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp, then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I think this is a brilliant, a brilliant passage of Jesus because it speaks to the three things. Don't be distant. Don't be judgmental. Don't conform. Don't, don't be distant is like when Jesus says, if you have a light, like you, 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 you're supposed to bring light into darkness. Don't, don't like hide it. Don't, don't distance yourself. Don't, don't keep it from others. When, when, when Jesus says, you know, like, don't, don't allow your, your, your saltiness to, to, to lose its flavor. It's like, don't, don't conform to the world. And in the same way, when we think of salt, salt adds flavor to food. Light dispels darkness. But both, if used to an extreme measure, can actually ruin what you're trying to improve. For example, if you have, a bril if you have an amazing steak and you put a little bit of salt on it to bring out its flavors, that's delicious. But if you like dump the whole jar on your steak, you basically ruin the steak, right? That's what being judgmental is like. It's like you're dumping the entire thing of salt on people and they're like so turned off. They want nothing to do with you. They want nothing to do with Jesus. In the same way, light dispels darkness. And so if you shine a light in front of people to, to help them see the way, that is helpful. If you take a flashlight and shine it directly in their eyeballs, that is annoying and frustrating. And so that's not the answer either. And so what does this begin to look like? I love the very final line. It says, let your good deeds shine out to all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. It speaks to posture. It speaks to how are we living. The Bible in the book of Galatians talks about the fruit of the spirit. And I think of a couple of them that are just so key to this. Um, it speaks of kindness. It speaks to gentleness. It speaks to patience. 
And so what does this begin to look like? Let's, let's get practical. I would say this, are my actions honoring God and loving others? That's grace and truth. Truth is, are my actions honoring God? I'm not going to conform to this world. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to remove myself from this world. But are my actions grace-filled? So I'm not going to start judging people either. Like, I think we need to live in a way that points others to Jesus. And that can't happen if we conform. It can't happen if we're distant. It can't happen if we're judgmental. So how do we live in a way that people begin to notice? It's by living in a way that, that even though they may disagree with what we believe, they really can't find fault in how we behave. This, this is something, Lizzie, that, that we have to continually work out day by day by day. All right, last question. I'm going to wrap it up here. And this is the one question that uh, I have thought through the most recently. Um, I even considered not answering it because I just know how hot button it is right now. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to jump into it. And the question is this, what is a Christian response to the war in the Middle East? I, I'm sure all of us are aware of just the, the horrific things that are happening in Israel and the Gaza Strip right now. We, we, we just see the evil of this past month. We, we see so many lives, innocent lives that have been taken from, from, from the Jewish people, from the, from the Palestinian people. And my, my initial response is, this, this just reminds me again of the brokenness of this world. The, the phrase that, that violence begets violence, that, 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 that we look at this and we may wonder, like, how do we respond? Like, like what do we do as Christians? Do, do we take a side? How do we support? Like, like what is the response? And, it, like, and this, this is so laced with, 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 with politics and, and, and not always understanding, you know, who's telling the truth and what, what's going on. And so how do we respond? I, I, I think personally for me, I think back to June when I was at a national conference and they brought up onto the stage two women. Uh, a woman from Israel, she was Jewish, and a woman from Palestine, from Gaza. And, and, and they were creating a movement to talk about reconciliation and forgiveness. Both shared their story in powerful ways where they have lost loved ones to these wars, to these conflicts. And that they were able to be up on stage together realizing that, that the path that they were going down as countries is just going to lead to greater destruction and violence. And, and I believe we look at this as a Christian and say this breaks the heart of God. That as we look at people, Jewish people, Palestinian people, they are created in the image of God and we see innocent lives being taken. Not just simply in the Middle East, but, but, but we hear horrific stories of just, of just racism happening within our world. Of people feeling unsafe because of what is happening. Be, because of who they are. And so what is our response? I mean, you hear people talk about a ceasefire, or you talk about, is this, is this just war? Or you, you, you hear different theological positions, and, and I've added back, what do I say? How do I respond? And I'm not going to jump into that. So what is our response? I would suggest three things. Number one is pray. And, and, and it's more than just thoughts and prayers, like who cares? It's I don't mean this as a throwaway, right? But, but as people who follow Jesus, we believe that he is the prince of peace. And so we pray for peace in this region. 
a, a piece that may seem insur- it may seem impossible, but 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 we believe in the God who who who, who is able to bring a, a sense of peace beyond our circumstance. So we pray for peace. We pray for the safety of those innocent men and women in Israel and in Gaza. That 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 no more no more lives would be taken. Like it is just horrific what we see, and so we pray for them. I think it means that as followers of Jesus, there's a sense of obligation to to support the humanitarian efforts in these regions. That, that we don't just sit back and do nothing, but, but we see great organizations that are going in and, and trying to bring food and water and, and, and proper health care to, to, to help those people that are being affected by all that is happening. And so I think we have a responsibility, we have an obligation to, to not just pray, but to financially contribute to support those that are struggling. And the third one is, is to continually come back and to trust that even though we don't understand, even though we, we may question, you know, why, why is God allowing this to happen? To believe that God is the one in control. That, that he is the one at work in the midst of this world, in the midst of our lives. And that I'm reminded more and more of our incredible need for faith in him. And so I just want to end with a chance for us to pray, to pray for what is happening in the Middle East, to pray that peace would come, that, 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 that innocent lives would not be lost, that, that we would see the hand of God at work. And so let me pray. So gracious God, as we come before you so oftentimes with circumstances in our world that are just so hard to see, they... We, we see the horrors and the, the loss of life, loss of innocent lives. And God, it breaks our heart. We can only imagine how it breaks yours. And so we do pray for peace. We, we, we do pray that, that no more innocent lives would be lost. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that, that we continue to trust that you are the one that is ultimately in control. And so it's in your name we pray all these things. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, if you have other questions or you have pushback on, on some of my responses, I, I would love to connect with you because it's through asking questions that we learn to grow, that, that, that we learn to see the impact of faith in the midst of life. And so never hesitate. Never hesitate to reach out. Love to connect. Love to, love to chat. Love to take a next step with you. Let me just pray a blessing over you as we uh, as we end. And so now may the blessing and love of God the Father Almighty, the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the peace and the comfort of the Holy Spirit be with you today and all of your tomorrows. Amen. today. We hope that you were encouraged by what you just heard. Just so you know a little bit more about who we are, hashtag for Paris, our church is about creating a culture that shows people that we are for them and for our local community. Jesus invites us to experience a meaningful life with him and others. So we meet every Sunday morning in person at the Paris Presbyterian Church at 1030 a.m. and throughout the week in various home groups and pubs here in Paris. It is here that we experience authentic relationships and we grow deep in our faith journeys together. 
If you would like to connect with us further, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And it is here that you can find links to any of our other audio and video podcasts, sermons, and you can track with what's happening with us each month. Please go straight to our website for more information now about our home groups and how you can get involved. Our website is parispres.ca. Yes, that's right, parispresb, P-R-E-S-B.ca. And it's there that you can share our links with your friends, family, and neighbors. Uh, We have friends from around the world who connect in with us online on a regular basis. And so lastly, please feel free to email me and get connected directly. I would love to chat with you. My email is leah at parispres.ca, and I'll get right back to you. So that's all we have for now. Thanks again for joining, and we'll see you again next week. Bye for now, everyone.